Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 23 this morning. Proverbs 23. We've been looking at the challenge to recalibrate our lives according to biblical truths and biblical principles. The last few weeks, we've looked at priorities. We've looked at the issue of integrity. We've looked at the importance of the right attitude. And today, we're going to be talking about recalibrating around the issue of money. I love the story about the two friends who had gone to school together and they got together later in years and one of them was very wealthy and the other wasn't wealthy at all. And the one who was wealthy was telling how he accomplished it and, and he told his friend, he said, well, I, just, I use the Bible. And he said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, I, I opened the Bible one day and I just went like this and wherever my finger landed, it, it landed on oil. So I invested all my money in oil and all my oil wells came in and gushed oil and I got rich and then I said, this is working. So I flipped the Bible and I put my finger in another place and it landed on the word gold. So I invested everything I had in gold, and then the gold market went great, and so I'm a wealthy man now. I'm like a Rockefeller, and, and it really works. So his friend's fascinated by it. He goes back to the hotel room, and he gets out his Gideon Bible, and he's going to try that. So he wants to find out what the Bible says about him getting rich, and he puts his finger down, and he opens his eyes, and it says chapter 11. So that is not, that's not the way to discern how to use God's word to get a right understanding of money. I want us to look at Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, these two powerful verses. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Stop giving your attention to it. As soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears, for it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. Powerful words. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. In essence, what the psalmist is saying, when you get that wealth and you look at it, it's going to fly away. Does anybody know about that experience? It seems like it just takes off and gets wings of its own. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'd like us to look at that in your New Testament. One of his letters to this young pastor who was dealing with the issue of false teachers and people who were opposing his work. And one of the key areas is around this area of of making money and being wealthy and an attitude toward wealth. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. If anyone teaches other doctrine and does not agree with sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes goodness or godliness, he is conceited, understanding nothing, but has a sick interest in the disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. But godliness, verse 6, with contentment is great gain. There's your formula, that, that contentment there, and we'll talk about that in a moment. With godliness, that's where the gain is. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, 
and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by it craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Look with me at verse 17 now. Instruct those who are rich in the present age, not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides with all things, us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come, so that they may take hold of life that is real. Powerful words from the psalm, from the writer of Proverbs, and now powerful words from Paul as he writes to Timothy about how we are to have our understanding, a proper understanding of money, of wealth, of gaining wealth. First of all, here's a reminder to those who are not rich. Number one, if you're taking notes, a reminder to those who are not rich. You may think that's you. A reminder to those who are not rich. Verse six and, and seven and eight there. When he said, godliness with contentment is great gain, we brought nothing in the world, we take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. A a reminder to those who are not rich. I I would say this, you would think Americans would be people who are content, as Paul talks about contentment. Someone put together a scale, they did the research, and they, they, they surveyed people across the world, and they asked them a list of questions, and they came up with a happiness scale. The happiness scale. How'd you like somebody say on the happiness scale, where are you? Are you one to ten? Americans on the happiness scale rank 33rd in the world. Above us as far as happiness in whatever category, whatever characteristics they use to determine happiness, I'm sure contentment was, was it. People with not near what we have were more content than we are. That shouldn't surprise you, should it? Number 33, reminder to those who are not rich. First truth here. We need to have a proper perspective on eternity. If you want to really, if you're not a rich person, you want to have the right understanding of recalibrating your mind and your your walk around money, you need to have a proper perspective of eternity. Look at verse 7. We brought nothing into the world, we take nothing out. That's pretty clear, isn't it? You came into this world with nothing, you will go out of this world with nothing. No matter what you accumulate, no matter how many nice clothes or shoes or jewelry or cars or possessions or homes or land or whatever you have when you go you don't take it with you somebody said yeah but I get to own some land while I'm here but when you're gone it goes to somebody else you brought nothing in you take nothing out that reminds us that this life is short it's brief what we have belongs to God it's not ours it's on loan to us one of the most important principles of stewardship is this God is the owner Man is the steward. If you get that, you'll get it right. God owns it all. God owns our vehicles. God owns our homes. We had a a car that was destroyed by a hailstorm one time. And as we were sitting in the restaurant watching these softball-sized hailstones in the Dallas-Fort Worth area come down and bust the windows of the restaurant, and we looked at it, and our car's getting hammered. Kelly and I just talked about it, and we said, God, there's your car. (laughs) Your, Your car's getting hammered right now. I had a friend we used to take his car to school when we lived in Houston, driving his little Volkswagen Beetle to University of Houston. We'd get broke down in the traffic, and, and that's where I learned it. And Doc would say, okay, God, what, you need to fix your car. Your car just broke down. What are you going to do about it? And that's not a flippant attitude saying, God, what are you going to do about it? But God, this is your car, and we're going to sit here as long as you want us to sit here. 
It all belongs to him. Have a perspective on eternity that, that what we have now is temporary. What is eternal is what's eternal. What is seen is temporary. What you can't see, that is what's lasting. That's eternity. So important. So important. I messed up this quote this morning from uh, Jim Elliott. He is no fool. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. To say, I'm going to keep a a loose hand on what I have in this world because eternity is what's important. Eternity. Proper perspective there. Second admonition that Paul gives to Timothy is this. Be content with the essentials. Be content with the essentials. Look at verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. He didn't even add shelter, did he? Don't they say food, clothing, and shelter? Those are the essentials. Uh, If you want to add that as another essential, all right? If you have those three things, Paul says just food and clothing. We might say food, clothing, and shelter. You should be content with that. That's all you need. That's all you need. Boil life down to the essentials. What is really necessary for me to get by, for me to survive? That contentment there, that word that, that Paul uses to be content with ease, he uses it other places. Look with me. Hold that place. We'll come back. But look at Philippians couple of books uh, before this one. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. Isn't that great? He says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. And in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. Paul says, I've learned to be content. And Paul mentions, I've, I've had and I've hadn't. So that's right grammar, but he, he's had things and he hasn't had things. I've had a little, I've had a lot. And I know no matter what, I can be content. Some translations say, Paul, uh, Paul in Philippians 4 there, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. Contentment. Somebody said one time he'd never been to Louisiana, but I, I wouldn't say that. I love Louisiana, but I heard somebody say that one time, whatever state. Paul says, wherever I am, whatever the circumstance, thank you for laughing, those of you who laugh. Whatever the circumstance is, Paul says, I'm back to, um, looking back at, at uh, the First Timothy 6 passage, when he says, I'm content with these essential things contentment when i was in ivory coast a a, a month or so ago a few months ago it's fascinating to me how little most of the people had but how happy they were how truly content they were um walking around barefoot on a dirt road happy as can be especially the believers i met just this sense of of contentment and and it and it was i was reminded a simple life is a happy life you kind of just, when you're overseas, you just kind of fall in that with them. It's just so simple. The meals we ate were so simple. The places we sit were so simple. Everything about it. And those people are content. That's what Paul is saying here. Learn the sense of contentment. Thinking about missions, I was reading about a statement that David Livermore made in his book, Serving with Eyes Wide Open. He talks about a friend of his who was from India, and this is what his friend said talking to to David. He said, I'm I'm sick of the sympathy from Westerners who think we need more stuff. So here's this Indian believer who says, I'm sick of the sympathy of you Westerners who think we need more stuff. 
He says, it's, it's, it's not, I don't need more stuff. He told about a mission team that came there and saw that he was riding his bicycle to church. So they, the mission team, right, right motives and everything, took up a collection for him so he could have a car so he wouldn't have to ride his bicycle. And he said, I don't, I don't want a car. I have a bicycle. And they thought he was making this super sacrifice. And he said, I'm not. I'm just, let's use that money for some other mission enterprise. I'm good with my bicycle. He said, it bothers me that Americans keep trying to, to impose their standards on them. Because simple contentment with the essentials is what made them happy. Second word, Paul writes to those who are not rich. Now he writes to some cautions to those who want to get rich. By the way, it's been my experience that some of the people who think about money more than anybody else are the people who don't have it, who are wanting more. It's not the wealthy that are obsessed with it often. It's the people that are wanting it. Here's some warnings for those who want to get rich. How do I know that? Because look at verse 9. But those who want to be rich, he says it right there. Those who want to be rich fall into temptation. And then he goes on to explain it. A trap. Many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. I don't believe Paul is talking here about people who want to better themselves. He's not just talking about people who want to, to have a nest egg or people who want to take care of themselves and, and do better. He's talking about people who are obsessed with this getting rich, where it's all they think about, who they, they cannot rest until they're affluent till they've reached the next level till they've kept up with the joneses whoever they are he speaks of wealth here as being a lure being entangled being being trapped by it our culture says that that's what you want to be happy you want to be happy they tell you you need to get more stuff i I watch youtube to watch motorcycle races because i'm cheap and i don't want to pay for a cable so i watch things after the fact right i watch the delays anybody else that watch the delayed stuff so as I turn on my YouTube channel, somehow they filter what I'm interested in. I don't know how they do that, but they filter what I'm interested in. They've decided that I'm interested in being wealthy. So when I, when I click on, maybe guys who watch motorcycle and car races want to be wealthy. I don't know. But when I click on my YouTube video to watch my race, I have to sit through this guy before I can hit skip ad. You know that? How that is? Come on, come on, skip. And he says, uh, I'm, let me tell you how great I am, how wonderful I am. I was just like you one day. Come here, let's walk through my garage. Here's my Maserati. Yeah, there's my Rolls Royce, there's my Lamborghini, there's mine. He just goes through all these fancy cars. You, you can have one of these if you want. And, he, and his assumption is if I want to be happy, I'll be like him in one of those nice cars. That's our culture, isn't it? It's, it's, it's opposite. We don't need that. So caution to those who think like the guy on my YouTube channel, all right? I don't even know his name. He probably wouldn't be real happy about that, would he? A caution for those who want to get rich. Proverbs 28 says this, A faithful man will have many blessings, but one in a hurry to get rich will not go unpunished. A greedy man is in in a hurry for wealth. He doesn't know that poverty will come to him. Be careful about that. So look at verse 10. We're going to come back to the trap part, but I just want to highlight something in verse 10. He talks about that love of money. It's an attitude. It's an attitude. We've got it all wrong in our culture. 
I, I love the parable. It's, in, it's been told a whole, lot, a whole lot of different ways, but one way is about a businessman who goes to this little fishing village in Mexico, and he encounters this fisherman, and he catches a couple of fish and puts them in his boat, and he's leaving. And So he's talking to this guy because he's on vacation. He's a wealthy businessman, uh, and he's down there, and, and he talks to this guy. He says, what do you do? He says, well, he said, that's pretty much what I do. I come here. I catch a couple of fish. I take them home. I cook them. Uh, I spend some time with my wife. I take a siesta. I spend some time with my kids. We eat. We, I get up the next day. I do the same thing. That's, that's pretty much my life. And he says, you know, said, if you would just stay out here about an hour longer, this businessman thinking, and catch some more fish, or maybe a couple of hours, you could increase your intake of fish. You could sell some of those fish and not just take care of your family. Sell some of those fish, and you could buy a bigger boat, and you could catch more fish. And then maybe you could catch so many fish that you could get another boat and then hire some crews. And then eventually you'd have so much fish and, that you're selling that you could have a fleet of fishing boats. And, and, and you could have this incredible, and this incredible business. And for 10 or 15 years, if you did that, you could retire. And the guy says, why? So, well, you could retire and do like I'm doing. You could come to a, like a remote fishing village and, and you could catch a couple of fish and you could sit by the beach and you could take a siesta. And, and as he's telling this guy this story, he realizes the guy's already got it. This American dream is let's do all that so we can have that. And the rest of the world is let's just have that. Let's look at Paul's words here. First, first statement, you could wander away from the truth. You could wander away from the truth. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith. To wander away from the faith, that means to step back. It, it can mean a lot of things. It can mean abandoning your Christian faith and just walking away from it, not losing your salvation, but walking away from from that making that a part of your daily life. It could be where you no longer have faith and you no longer trust God to be your provider. It can mean a lot of things, but it affects you spiritually. Jesus talked about the parable of the soils, and remember he said the worries of this age, the seduction of wealth, and the desire for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. That's what Paul's thinking about here, I believe. If I am so set on getting wealth. And I know a lot of you aren't maybe not thinking, I'm not talking about being really wealthy, but just a little bit more than I am. <laughs> if that becomes your focus, Paul says, be careful. Be careful because some people have wandered from the faith because of it. The scholars believe that Paul is talking to Timothy about some specific people there in his churches who have done that. Some have wandered away and he may have even could have called their names if he wanted to like he did in other, in other New Testament letters. Remember sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so, they've wandered from the faith. Be careful. The deceitfulness of riches has a way of choking the truth out of your life. Patrick Morley in his book, Man in the Mirror, it's a book that we give away uh, to our guests, the men that visit. I, I give that book. I, I think it's a great book. Um, in the initial chapters of that book, he talks about the American dream, and, and he shows how our culture has become obsessed with this consumerism. He talks about how after World War II, we, we had built these factories, this big major industrial move to provide means for the war, and after the war, we have all these factories producing goods that people don't need, and so all the the uh, Madison Avenue people, the marketers, got their heads together and said, we need, to, we need to let the people know that this stuff that we're making is something they need. 
And so suddenly we have advertising and we have this, this blitz of letting people know that we need this stuff. You ever watch a commercial said, you know, they tell me, I didn't know I needed that, but I think I need that now. I think I have to have that. There are even full networks that are, that are, uh, that are obsessed with, that's all they do is tell you what you need. And the more that goes on to say that has captured the mindset of men in America about attaining and gaining he has a graph in his book, and he, and he shows, I, I love the way this, if you just look at this graph, he has a, a graph that shows our standard of living has gone up, but as our standard of living has gone up, our values have gone down, and it's in proportion, opposite proportion. As we've gotten more stuff, we've become more immoral, and our values have disintegrated, and we've become less content, and he ultimately says in there that we've wandered from the faith. Paul says, be careful. Don't let, it, don't let it creep in and do that to you. It's a trap. But then he says this. You could also experience some pain, some mental anguish. I debated what word to use there, but I, I thought mental anguish would be a good way to say it. Let me look at verse in the last part of verse 10. He says they've wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Pierced themselves with many pains. Here's some different, defini- or different uh, translations of that. The New Living Translation says some have have pierce themselves with many sorrows. J.B. Phillips translates it this way, they have caused themselves untold agonies of mind. The New English Bible, they've spiked themselves on many thorny griefs. And then the message, they lost their footing in the faith and they lived to regret everything bitterly ever after. Pierced, mental anguish, worrying about that stuff. Albert Schweitzer said, if you have something that you can't live without, you don't own it. It owns you. I thought about how sometimes I see people park their really nice cars out in the parking lot. And I started to say that I've never done that because I've never had a really nice car. But then I remember my very first truck that I bought with my own money was a 64 Chevy. And I painted it myself. Is 10 years old, paid $500, 10 years old, painted it myself. And when I would go to the mall or somewhere, I parked way out there because I didn't want anybody opening their doors and dinging my car. And I valued that thing more than I should. Do you ever cling to something to want to protect something so much that it causes mental anguish? Do you ever park your car somewhere and the whole time you're wherever you are, you're thinking about, I hope my car's all right? Okay, I was a 16-year-old boy at the time, so I, you know, but I worried about it. By the way, the first week I had that thing, somebody ran a red light and hit me and, and destroyed, yeah. It's, yeah, thank you for your sympathy. Uh, it broke my heart because I painted it myself, and then I had to send it to a body shop, and they painted it, and it just wasn't the same after that. Be careful about valuing stuff so much, so much. It may not be something you own. It may be something that owns you. Now, number three, Paul gives some instructions for those who are rich. How do I know that? Because in verse 17, he says, instruct those who are rich. It's right there. Instruct those who are rich in this present age. That's right now. First of all, he says, not to be arrogant. So letter A, if you're taking notes here, four pieces of advice. Advice for those who are rich, don't be arrogant. By the way, I mentioned it earlier, but compared to the rest of the world, we are rich. Did you know that? Wherever Americans go, they're fascinated. What we make in a week, they make in a year. Maybe. The average 
income in America is in the 50,000s and most of the world, 120-something countries, they make less than 10,000 a year. Household income. We are rich. So if you say, well, I don't have to listen to these instructions for those who are rich because compared to the rest of the world, you are rich. Don't be arrogant. It means literally don't be high-minded. Don't be prideful. Don't be conceited. James says that every good thing comes down from the Father who is in heaven. It's, it's, it's a gift from God to us. So don't get arrogant. I earned that. No, you didn't. I worked hard for that. Well, maybe you did, but it's a gift from God. I saved up for that. Well, good for you. The Bible says it's a gift from God. Don't be arrogant. Don't be boastful that it's your stuff because you whatever, because you're so smart or be careful about that. He says, don't be arrogant. I love this story. Maybe you all have heard it about the drug enforcement agent that's on the border and he, he wants to check out this rancher's property. So he steps up to the fence and the rancher comes up and he, he says, can I help you? He says, yes, I'm with the federal government and I want to inspect your property. And the rancher says, well, okay. He says, but don't go over there to that pasture. And the agent says, wait a minute, I'm an officer of the federal government. He pulls out his badge real arrogantly and shows it to him. I'm a drug enforcement officer. I can look at any piece of property that you own. Here's my badge that proves it. The rancher says, okay, suit yourself. So he goes off to his work, and a little bit later, he hears this screaming and hooping and hollering, and sees over in the pasture, this guy's running for his life, and his prize bull is chasing him. And so the rancher runs over there and leans over the fence and hollers, show him your badge. Sometimes we're just, here's my badge, look what I did, it's all mine. No, it isn't. Don't be arrogant. Everything you have, including the breath you breathe, is a gift from your heavenly Father. He owns it all, the psalmist said. The psalmist said, God is owner and man is steward. God owns it all, the world and everything that's in it. That's you, that's what you have. It's on loan. Don't be arrogant. Secondly, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of wealth. He says, don't be arrogant or set your hope on the uncertainty of wealth in verse 17. Do you do that? Do you hope that it's going to be there and that's where your security is? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Sometimes we could rewrite that hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than my bank account and my savings account and what I put away and blah, 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 blah. Don't set your hope on that. I was reading about some millionaires. There are at least 12 American millionaires who have decided that they've got this thing figured out. They're going to invest in some things long term and make sure that it stays in their name. And when they die, they've left instructions for their bodies to be frozen. True story. And in 100 years for their bodies to be revived when the technology and science can do that. And then they will be alive again and they will reap the benefit of their investment from 100 years before. Is that ridiculous? Does that sound as ridiculous to you as it does to me? And, and it's not so much about them cheating death as it is about them being able to make some more money. They're putting their hope in their wealth and it is fleeting. What did the psalmist say or the writer of Proverbs say? How did he say it? My, my paraphrase is that you, your eyes fly to it and it flies away. Giving your attention to it, as soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears, for it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. 
I don't carry much cash anymore because a wonderful society with the debit cards. Isn't that great? It's easier. But I can remember when I did the, the I'd go to pay for something and open up my wallet and see all those bills in there. And I'd ask, how much was that? How much? And, you know, you just take a 10 and 20, whatever. You can't believe how much it is when you, when you go get your car worked on and the mechanic says, okay, good news, it's running. What's the, what's the damage? And you look at it and, and, you, and you say, how much? Or you open the bill from the hospital and you know what all that does? It just reminds us that it just flies away, flies away. We get money in our savings account and something breaks down and it flies away. And, and I'm real spiritual and I tell Kelly, well, at least we had it in the savings account to give it, you know, but it still flew away. Don't set your hope on that. The writer of Proverbs says it's going to sprout wings and fly away. We sing, I'll fly away, O glory. <laughs> It'll fly away. But then he gives a, some positive statements here that, I would, that, that move beyond the don't. So we're going to close with these two. First of all, Become a generous person. Become a generous person. Verse 18. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share. Willing to share. Generous, willing to share. A recent Gallup poll shows that as income goes up, giving proportionally goes down. So as people get wealthier, we give less and less proportionally. We may give more money, Because we've got more, but it's proportionally less and less and less. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Matthew 6, he said, no one can serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. You you cannot be a slave to money and a servant, a slave of God. And in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, Paul wrote, God loves a cheerful giver. And he says it right here. Be generous, willing to share. That's cheerful. I love the story about the mother who's trying to teach her daughter stewardship and so she takes her to church and she gives her a dollar bill and a quarter and and the parent the parent wisdom there says no you can give either one of these however you feel led in the offering today when the plate comes by you can either give a dollar to god or a quarter and so the daughter puts the quarter in and afterwards the mother's asking tell me why you gave the quarter." said, well i was going to put the dollar in in the offering, but I got to thinking, the preacher said God loves a cheerful giver, and I would be a whole lot more cheerful if I just gave a quarter and I kept a dollar. (laughs) Some of us operate that way, don't we? Be generous. Be generous. Maybe we all ought to start carrying $20 bills around just in case there's an opportunity. Well, if I had money in my wallet, if God prompted me, I'd say, I don't have any cash. What if we did carry some? Be generous. Letter D, fourth word of instruction, invest your money in eternity. This is what it's all about. Look at verse 19. Storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come so that they may take hold of life that is real. And some scholars believe that life that is real, they're just talking about a life that's genuine, but I believe it talks about, it's talking about eternity because he talks about um, the, the age to come. As Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not corrupt, where thieves cannot break in and steal. Invest your money in eternity. 
Warren Wiersbe says, Riches can lure a person into a make-believe world of shallow pleasures. But riches plus God's will can introduce a person to a life that is real and a ministry that is lasting. I think that captures that verse there. When you give generously and invest in eternity, God's going to use it to make a difference. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Randy Alcorn, who does a lot of teaching on stewardship in one of his blogs titled, Where's Your Heart? He uh, said, just imagine for a minute that you go and buy some General Motors stock. What's the next thing you're going to do? Well, you're probably going to look at the paper and the financial page and read how General Motors is doing. You may even buy a General Motors vehicle. You're going to look online for blogs about General Motors stock and General Motors management, and you're going to read about it. And suddenly, now that you've bought General Motors stock, you're more interested in General Motors than you ever were before. And he says that illustrates the truth. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the challenge is, why not invest in eternity? Why not invest in the kingdom? And then track it by saying, I'm going to put my life there. I'm going I'm to be an obedient follower of Christ in ministry because that's what's important to me. Now, I'm going to spend time in his word because that explains to me godly values and biblical perspective on money. I advocate storehouse tithing, which is, the Bible says, bring all the tithe in the storehouse, to give to the Lord through the local church. This is where the ministry takes place to, to begin that way. And by the way, I believe that the 10% of the tithe is the very minimal beginning. That's, that's, the, that's duty, that we're all as believers to move beyond that. But I advocate giving to God through your local church. We have options. We have, you can give online. I can give on my cell phone. I sometimes do that on Sunday morning. All these options that we have to, to be, make it easy to give. I like that. Invest in eternity through your local church. Let me just wrap up with this story. British Prime Minister Tony Blair wrote his memoirs about seven, eight years ago. And in it, he tells about a friend of his. Let me just read what he, what he wrote. A friend of mine whose parents were immigrants, Jews from Europe, who came to America in search of safety, told me this story. His parents lived and worked in New York. They were not well off. His father died when he was young and his mother lived on. And in time, my friend succeeded and became wealthy. He often used to offer his mother the chance to travel outside of America. She never did. When eventually she died... They went back to recover the safety box where she kept her jewelry, and they found there another box. There was no key, so they had to take a drill to open it. They wondered what precious jewel must be in it. They lifted the lid, and there was wrapping and more wrapping and finally an envelope. They were intrigued. They opened it. In the envelope were her U.S. citizenship papers. Nothing more. That was the jewel, more precious to her than any other possession That's what she treasured most. So here's what I'd like to ask you. What's in your treasure box? What is it that you value more than anything? It's where your heart is. Let's pray.